Well, today we are going to bring our conversation about our mission emphasis to a conclusion. And next Sunday morning, we'll begin Advent. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that Advent is already here? Our theme for Advent is, O Come All Ye Faithful. And we are going to continue our conversation uh, that has as, uh, that we've gathered under this entire year, a journey of faith. We've been exploring various aspects of faith throughout the year, and so we're going to end the year with, O come all ye faithful, and we're going to unpack the theology of, of that great Christmas carol. Uh, I'll let you do some homework this week on how much you know about that Christmas carol. It's a very interesting one. If you were to look in your hymnal, I believe the, um, the hymnal that we have has three stanzas or verses. What do you call them? Stanzas, verses of the Christmas carol. There are actually nine of them and they're just not all found in our hymnal. And so we're going to look at some of the theology that's taught in that great Christmas carol, even if not every one of those lines is actually printed in our hymnal. So I'll, I'll just give you something to look into. And then when we finish Advent, we'll turn the corner to 2022. And you know, every year in July, I go off and study and, and get prepared for the next year and develop a theme for the year that will guide us. And so this year, uh, as I was studying and praying, I was in Angel Fire, New Mexico, and just praying over the, uh, just where we are as a church and where is God leading us. And I, I just, began to make notes on a piece of paper, and I found myself drawn to the prefix re, R-E. And that led me to a study of all of the re words in the Bible. And I just felt led by the Lord to lead us in 2022 to the theme Re, And so that's what 2022 is going to be about. So we're going to talk about what it means to reflect and to restore and to reconnect and to revive and to refresh and to reconcile, to remember, to recreate, to repent, to replenish, to rejoice, to rededicate. Actually, 2022 is going to be about re-everything. And it's what I just feel like we need. I feel like we need to re-complete that word. And I'm looking forward to 2022 as we together as a church family enter into a season of renewal. So just pray with me about that and our staff as we lead our church on into the future. So with that said, let's, let's conclude this conversation. Uh, you know that our theme in here on Sunday mornings for missions has been sharing the faith. It connects to the journey of faith. But our theme for missions at First Baptist Arlington is live sent. And you've heard a good bit about it, obviously. Uh, you know that this month, all of our Bible studies are studying this curriculum uh, that Kurt Grice put together and then the rest of our staff ad adapted it for their age groups. But it's live Sent. It is an explanation of how Psalm 1 people and a Psalm 1 church 
can actually be on mission together. And what I've been sharing with you in this room on Sunday morning are these messages about missions. And we started with the mandate. And then last Sunday morning, the message. And today's message is entitled, The Mission. So we've looked at missions, the mandate, missions, the message. Today I want us to look at missions, the mission. Look with me at Romans 15, if you will. If you have your copy of the New Testament. And we'll look at verse 17 through verse 21. And hear these words from the Apostle Paul. Where Paul is, is sharing his personal testimony about his commitment and his calling to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he sees that calling and that ministry as being connected to the overall plan of God that is rooted richly and deeply in what Paul would have simply called the scriptures, you and I would call the Old Testament. So here's what Paul says, Romans 15, verse 17, as he is discussing this calling to the Gentiles. He says, therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. A very powerful personal testimony from Paul. Now here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'm going to get back to Romans 15 uh, in just a moment, but I would like to just complete what we began last Sunday morning. As I shared with you the message of the mission, this morning I want to unpack the mission itself. So last week was about the message. So let me begin here with the word about the church because God has uniquely equipped us for his mission. And you are a part of his mission when you invest yourself in and through the church. You know, I have people all the time that used to ask me, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? Y'all ever heard that? Or they will say, you don't have to be, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I understand that. But if you're a Christian, why wouldn't you wanna be in the church? That's my question. Because we're the people of God. And it's through the church it's in the church that God has chosen to work in this world. So I'll begin as I want to share with you this, this encouragement today about the mission itself with this statement. The church must transport this message of redemption to all peoples. That assignment has been given to us. It's as old as the calling of Abraham. God promised Abraham that he and his family would be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth, Genesis 12. 
Exodus 19, when God assembled his people and delivered them from Egypt, he gave them the invitation to participate with him in being a kingdom of priests and taking this message across the world, Exodus 19, verse six. Throughout the Old Testament, we, we read about God's heart. Do you remember that God even, even said in Isaiah 56, verse seven, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, is what Isaiah says. It's not just a house of prayer, it's a house of prayer for the nations. And then Jesus established the covenant with his people, the new covenantal people of God, when he instituted the Lord's Supper in Luke 22, verse 20. And so Jesus then shared his desire, and that is to bring the church into existence and work through the church so that the mission of God can be accomplished. So now the church embodies the very witness of Christ. So I want you to think with me this morning about the church for just a moment. Jesus created the church, true? Matthew 16. He is the one who said, I will build my church. He called the church. He said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I'm going to give you spiritual authority. Jesus contextualized the mission of the church. In Matthew 24, verse 14, he says, this, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world so that all nations, he said, will have the testimony of the gospel. Then the end will come. So Jesus contextualizes the ministry or the mission of the church. He commissioned the church. In Matthew 28, he said to go and make disciples of all the nations. He challenged the church in Acts 1, verses seven through eight, where he told us we're to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. He charged the church. In John 20, verse 21, he says, just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And so the church, it's a unique instrument of God. There is nothing else like it on planet earth. There are some great organizations on planet earth and we're grateful for them. But there is nothing like the church. We are the body of Christ and we're to embody and incarnate the very witness of Christ. Now, I want you to think with me, not just about the church, but I want you to think about this church. What does it mean to be a part of this church? Just this one church, First Baptist Church of Arlington. Our challenge to you is to live sent. That means we want you to be a part of what God is doing through this one local church. That's the invitation. That's the challenge. That's the, the responsibility if you're a part of this place. And so we are to live sent. That means so many things. It, 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 it's a word about how we're to live our lives every day. I would tell you it's also a word about how we invest ourselves in ministry and in mission. And one of the ways you and I live sent is by giving. You know, when you give to the budget of this church, much less the World Mission Offering, just, just give to the budget of this church. You're not just paying the bills. You know that, right? You're not just paying the bills. When you give to the budget of this church, you are actually, you're being obedient to God because God challenges us to be gracious, to be generous, and to support the church that we're a part of, I believe, but you're actually investing in something. When you give to the budget of this church, you become a part of a, of a holistic 
missional effort. And it touches the lives of countless people. For example, you give to the budget of this church and you support the core infrastructure of Mission Arlington. You pay the salaries of the core leadership of Mission Arlington. You provide a block so Mission Arlington can be housed. You provide strategic program money through your giving to the budget, as well as ultimately the World Mission Offering. So this very week, just this one week here in Arlington, on Thursday, Mission Arlington is going to deliver 6,000 Thanksgiving meals to people who are dealing with food scarcity just in our community. Just this one week. That's something you're gonna be a part of. Just this one week. Isn't that awesome? And many of, you will, many of you will come and do it physically. But even if you don't, as you give to the budget of this church, you're making that a very real possibility. So there will be people in our community on Thanksgiving Day who might enjoy one of the best meals they'll have through the giving and sacrifice of people just like you. you, you when you give to the budget of this church, you, you become a partner with some of our historic efforts across the world. We're Texas Baptists. Our church is a part of Texas Baptists. A portion of our money goes to support our work. One of the most strategic things we do is we are sharing the gospel on college campuses all over the state of Texas. We're doing it intentionally. We're intersecting the lives of students at a crucial point in their life. Our church also supports over and above that, independently, if you will, the work here at UTA through Gary Stidham. And the fruit of that, we're experiencing it. As a matter of fact, in this next worship service, Gary is going to be baptizing one of the converts from the UTA minister who's a part of our church. Gary's a deacon here in our church. He and his wife, Teresa, are members here. You're supporting that work. You support our partnerships with the global centers. You just heard Rebecca talk about one of the global centers. We have four of them now. Three of them are established. One is in its infancy. One of them is in Western Europe where we're working with Arabic-speaking peoples. And we have a family planted there, her daughter and son-in-law. And God is assembling partners for us. And in fact, he has brought people right here to our church who've been a great blessing to us in understanding that calling to the Arabic peoples of the world. Pastor Raymond and Ida and his family have joined our church and stand before us this morning as a testimony how God is assembling people here in this community. We in our own church, as well as what we're doing in our global center in Western Europe. We have a global center in, in Central Europe as well, working in, in the post-communist uh, arena and context. And we have a family living there, Ryan and Sarah, and they're ministering primarily to young people who don't know anything about the opportunities that they have personally in Christ. It's never been presented to them before. And we're sharing the gospel faithfully. We have a global center that we've established in its infancy right here in Arlington to reach an unreached people group, the Farsi speakers in this community and around the world. We have a global center in West Africa as where Gabe and Seder are living. And, and through our partnerships in West Africa, you are helping to invest and support just through your budget giving. Just through your giving every week, you're, you're providing the core support for those strategic partnerships partnering with, with Restore Hope. Through your world mission offering, you're adding to those opportunities. Do you know that just in the last couple of months, through one of our partnerships at Restore Hope, one of the church planters that we're connected to through Restore Hope 
Right now, he has gone back to his home village and he's been showing the Jesus film. He's working with some other partners. They have planted six churches and would you believe in the last two and a half months, they have shown the Jesus film in the areas where these churches have been planted and 700 people in the last two months have come to know Jesus as their personal savior. And guess what? You're a part of that. that. That's an extension of what it means to live sent. And so God is using the church with a big C, but aren't you grateful to the Lord that you're a part of just a one local church that God is using in such an incredible way? Aren't you grateful? It's a holistic approach. It's a missional endeavor, and you are making it possible and it's a beautiful testimony to the way God designed this in the first place, to work through the church, through God's people, people who are generous, people who are gracious, people who will respond to a challenge because they know that God is using them to take the gospel to the world. Now let me tell you what's happening when we do all of that. There's something happening that's, that's theologically essential. God's name is to be proclaimed to the nations. His glory is to be pursued to the ends of the earth. That's what the Bible teaches us. And so when you're engaged in the life of a local church like this one, you're participating in something incredibly profound and theologically meaningful, something that fulfills the scripture. You know, the Bible says in, in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the work of his hands. Well, that doesn't surprise us because creation is simply acknowledging its creator. Creation can't help itself because God's creative ability is on display. But also, the word of God says this in 1 Chronicles 16, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he's done, declare his glory among the nations, ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name, because God's desire is that his glory cover the entire planet. In Habakkuk, the Bible says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And so guess what? In the church, you're participating in God's name being proclaimed to the nations and God's glory being pursued to the ends of the earth. And can I give you some really good news this morning? Can I just give you some really good news this morning? God's plan will succeed. Now come on, y'all. I'm reading all these prognosticators pronouncing the doom of the church. The church is not gonna survive the pandemic. Let me just tell y'all something. Anybody who prophesies the end of the church is dead wrong. God's plan will succeed. I've actually read the Bible, haven't you? I want you to know God wins. And so it's good news, y'all. God's in control of this universe. He's the architect of the plan of the ages. He's never been surprised. Not one single time do you find God scratching his head in eternity, wondering what in the world is going on down there on planet Earth. God is up to date. He's so far ahead of us. Come on, y'all, my goodness. We got young people in our church who don't think God understands the internet. Are you kidding me? 
God, we're talking about God. And so God gave John just a, just, just a glimpse. It, it would have been too much for him to see it all. He just gave him a glimpse. And John says this in Revelation 7, verse 9. He says, and there I looked, and before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. You hear that? From every nation, tribe, people, and language. You know why? Because God's glory is going to be pursued to the ends of the earth. That's why. And he says, they're standing before the throne in front of the Lamb, holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Yes, hallelujah. That is where, if you're wondering where we're headed, that's where we're headed. And you know, some incredibly godly people have been used by God to make it happen. Just some incredibly godly people. You can't get through missions month in a Baptist church without mentioning William Carey. William Carey was a cobbler. He repaired shoes for a living. And he had a grammar school education. But God put something in his heart, a world on his heart. And God began to work in this man's life there in England. And he felt called to take the gospel to the unreached peoples of the world. He had colleagues all around him who didn't see the giftedness in William Carey. He even had one of his mentor pastors say to him, if God intends for the heathen to hear the gospel, he will do it without you or me. But William Carey wouldn't quit. And he kept begging and pleading. He became a pastor, even though he was a shoemaker by trade. And finally, he said, God is calling me here am I, send me. So in 1793, he would leave his beloved England and go to India. Now in order to go to India, he had to go as an illegal alien. And so he sailed, he made his way to, to India. He didn't have an immigration permit from the East India Company who controlled everything in India. He didn't have enough financial resources. He was an unknown pastor of a small town church in the English Midlands. He only had a handful of friends who even knew what he was doing. I can promise you, it did not make the news when he left for India. But he wrote a powerful book called An Inquiry in 1792. And finally, in 1792, October 31st, he organized the Baptist Missionary Society and he became the first missionary appointed. And he would spend the next 41 years in India and he never came back home one time. When William Carey arrived in India, it was challenging work. He wrote letters back to the Baptist Missionary Society after his first year, not one convert. Second year, not a single convert to report. Third year, not a single convert. Fourth year, fifth year, sixth year, not a single Hindu had come to Christ. Now, can you imagine? Here was this man, you're talking about swimming upstream. His colleagues doubted him. The money had dried up. He was, he'd never received the qualifications, the certification to actually live there legally. Seven years passed, and finally he was able to send a note home. Krishna Paul, 
has made the decision to accept Christ, my very first convert. But y'all, this man would spend the next 40 years there. And his ministry, only in glory, will we be able to understand it and measure it. William Carey, he established 45 churches and mission stations. He trained and sent out 45 Indian teachers and 30 Indian missionaries. He served for 30 years as professor of languages at Williams College. He founded Serampore College. He personally translated and oversaw the translation of the Bible into 42 languages, which made the word of God by his death accessible to one third of the world's population. He established a paper mill, a printing press. He published the very first Indian newspaper. He established the Serampore Press, which distributed 213,000 copies of the Bible. He authored grammars, dictionaries for six major Indian languages. He served as the government censor for literary productions. He led in a social justice effort that established laws throughout India that pro prohibited the accepted practice of heathen infanticide. And he led personally in the, uh, the abolition rather of the Suti rite where widows were burned on the funeral pyres of their husbands. He did it without political blessing. He did it with all types of legal resistance at the hand of the East India Company. In fact, he did it in the power of the Spirit of God. What a great story. Well, let me just say this to you in closing. We're all in this together. We're all in this together. Every one of us. Paul's personal testimony is right here in Romans 15. Paul says, you know, I was a Pharisee, living my life, engaging in what I thought was my purpose, and God redeemed me. I met the Lord on the road to Damascus, and he called me beyond my own people, beyond the borders of Israel. He called me to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul said, now here I am all these years later, and he says in verse 17, I'm glorying today, not in me. I'm not glorying in my accomplishments. I'm glorying in Christ Jesus. I'm glorying in the work that he's called me to. He called me out of Jerusalem. In other words, he called me from beyond the Jews. He called me all the way to the, uh, to the Western uh, uh, territory. That's the message he gives here. He's getting ready to actually go to Rome is his plan. And he says, I've always tried to just take the gospel where it hasn't yet been proclaimed. That was the calling for me. That's his personal testimony. Well, you know what? We're all in this together and we all have a testimony. What's yours? What's yours? You know, for me as a young seminary student, I was sitting in the very back row of the chapel at Southwestern one morning and a missionary spoke. I don't remember his name, don't remember one thing he said. But this small man came up to give an invitation when the missionary sat down. He was the retired ex-president of the foreign mission board, Baker James Coffin. He had a voice as big as this room and he gave the invitation, I'll never forget it. He invited men and women to come give their lives to missions. And men and women that morning came forward and gave their, life to mission, their lives to missions. And then he said this, he said, there's some of you still seated and I'm not, why you're, I'm not sure why you're still seated. <clears throat> he said, but here's my call to you. Some of y'all are gonna be pastors. And he said, if you're ever gonna pastor a church, I'm asking you to make a commitment to God right now, this morning in front of the Lord himself and your colleagues, 
that you'll do everything in your power to lead your church to be personally committed to the fulfillment of the Great Commission as long as you have breath. He said, if you'll make that commitment, you come down here, let me pray over you. I was down there in a second. And I'll never forget Baker James Cawthon putting his hands up and praying over us. And since that time, for me personally, that's been my call. Any church that I pastor, I'm gonna live out that calling because I'll stand before the Lord one day about making that very commitment. And I hope that I'll make Baker James Coffin proud. What's your testimony? See, we're all in this together. <laughs> Remember what I told y'all? Um, the story at the beginning of Missions Month when I was in Asia and I was in that village with that Hindu priest. You remember me telling you all that story? I spent the day with those five pastors and they were all former Muslims and we studied First Peter together. You remember me telling that story? It'd been over 200 years since William Carey went to India. Those five men, those five pastors, when they sat down with me and they opened their Bibles, every single one of them had the Sarampore William Carey translation of the Bible in their hands. So this little cobbler from that little village in England, my life intersected his in a remote village in Asia. You know what? You're a part of that story. Do you know right now you're giving to the budget, to the World Mission Offering? You know one of the things you've done over the last few years? You may not even know it. Did you know you helped complete the translation of the Bible into a language in West Africa? You helped complete the translation of the Bible into a language in India. And you know right now, because of your gifts, over a million people right now have access to read the Bible in their own language. Because of you. And so what's the challenge of me and you? Live sent. Live sent because we're all in this together. Praise God. Let's pray together. <clears throat> well, Father, this morning, we just bow in your presence this week of thanksgiving, grateful. Thankful for what you have done, are doing, and will do. And we thank you for letting us be a part of a church. A church that takes all this seriously. And I thank you, Lord, for giving us an opportunity to find our own way in it. And I pray that we all will. And that we'll all learn together what it means for us individually to live sent. May it be so. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.